Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you would be finding Mark the 13th, excuse me, Luke the 13th chapter, that's where we'll be beginning in just a moment. Luke chapter 13, as we get ready to open up the Word of the Lord, as part of our worship is devoted to the preaching and the teaching and the studying of God's Word, and so you would be helped tremendously if you'd get a Bible out and follow along uh, in Luke 13 and in all the other passages that we'll be discussing for the next few minutes. As you're turning there and as you're getting settled in for this part of our worship, I will join in with the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody this morning. Got a full house, even had to pull out some of the additional chairs for folks in the back. But glad so much that you're here today. we got visitors with us and we are very appreciative of your presence. And we pray that you're finding everything that we're doing today to be in harmony with the Word of God. If it's not or if you just have a question about something that's said or done here today, you grab myself or any of the other members here and we'll be glad to sit down and discuss those things with an open Bible. In Luke the 13th chapter, I want to begin reading in a passage that is just really tailor-made for our preaching theme this year on growing and increasing. We read this parable that Jesus tells beginning in verse 6. In Luke 13 and in verse 6, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, but he found none. And so he said to the vine dresser, Look, For three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it take up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now that's kind of a stern parable, isn't it? And it's really not all that hard of a parable to figure out. You've got a tree that doesn't bear fruit. So it's not good for anything. Thus, if it's not going to produce, particularly in an orchard where every single bit of space is extremely valuable, then then cut it down. Get rid of it. Out it goes. Now, I believe the original application of that parable was to the people of Judah who lived at that time in the first century. They needed to repent. In fact, the first five verses on top of the parable, Jesus tells folks, you need to repent. You need to be bearing fruit For the Lord. But let's be clear, that parable wasn't just for people living in the first century. That parable is for Christians even today. And I've got to be honest with you. That parable makes me not a little bit nervous. What if Jesus surveyed my life? What if Jesus was looking at me if I am the tree in the parable? What if I'm the fig tree... And the vineyard owner comes and he's there to do some inspecting. Would he be satisfied with what he sees in my life? Or would he be fetching a chainsaw? Because I'm not growing and I'm not bearing fruit for him. That makes me just a little bit uncomfortable. Particularly whenever I examine my life and I, and I don't really feel like I'm growing or bearing fruit for the Lord. I know that I ought to be growing. I'm trying to do some things that help bring about spiritual growth, but sometimes, sometimes I just feel kinda, kinda barren. You ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt like maybe you're not quite living up to the expectations that Christ has for us as His trees planted in His vineyard? What exactly do you do whenever you're not seeing that spiritual growth in your life? Now, let me just hit the pause button right here and let me just deal with a potential problem before we get into the meat and the heart of this lesson. Because it may be that the reason you're not seeing spiritual growth in your life is because 
is because you're not putting in the hard work to grow spiritually. There are some people who just do not put in the time and the energy and the effort to grow spiritually. And as a result, they feel barren because they are barren. And let me give you a newsflash this morning. If you're not putting in the effort, if you're not being intentional about spiritual growth, then number one, you're not going to grow. And number two, it's your fault. And that might very well explain why it is that you're not seeing spiritual growth in your life. And that should certainly be a cause for great concern. But you need to know this morning that that's not what we're talking about today. That's not the emphasis for us this morning. This morning what we're talking about is when we are doing the hard work. When we are being serious about our spiritual development. Where we're being diligent, for example, in reading and studying the Bible daily. Where we're being regular in our attendance at worship. Where we're being constant in our prayer life. We're serving others. We're being evangelistic. We're doing the kinds of things that ought to bring about and bearing fruit, but we're just not seeing that fruit. We're involved in the things that are supposed to facilitate spiritual growth, but but we just don't feel like we're growing. What's up with that? How do we deal with that? I believe that all of us, at some point or another, struggle with, to some degree, this kind of feeling. And we need to be able to deal with that in the right and proper way, lest we become discouraged or lest we become weary in well-doing. That's why this morning, as part of this series this year, I want to just share with you four reasons that may explain what it is that's going on. Why it is that we sometimes feel like we're not growing. And how it is that we need to deal with those things. And that all begins by just saying something there about that, about that word feeling there. I feel this way. I feel that way. It may very well be, number one, that your feelings, well, that your feelings are misleading you. You may have all these feelings and all of these emotions that are causing you to feel a certain way about yourself, but but those feelings may not even be correct. They may not even be accurate. You know, people say things all the time like, like, I feel stuck. I feel like I'm just not really making any progress. I just feel like I've kind of plateaued. And the operative expression in all of those statements is what? I feel. As if our feelings, as if our emotions are a reliable barometer of what's really going on and where we are spiritually. As if a small sampling of our emotions are somehow authoritative in some way. I don't feel very spiritual, so so I must not be very spiritual. I don't feel like I'm growing, so, so I guess that means I'm not growing. But I would suggest to you that that's not really an equation that I think we're willing to run the reverse of. Have you ever been talking with someone, uh, maybe a friend or a colleague or somebody that's a, a member of a denominational background, they, they have a denominational religious background, and you're talking with them about the subject of salvation. And they start telling you about their salvation experience. They had some kind of religious experience that led them to believe that they were saved. They, they just accepted Jesus into their heart. Or they made an altar call. Or they prayed the sinner's prayer. And they're saying, this is how I know that I was saved because I did those things. And we then offer and say, well, well, can we maybe look at some other passages in the New Testament? You know, the Bible has some other things to say about how a person is saved. And they say, listen here, I wouldn't trade what I feel in my heart 
for a stack of Bibles. What are those people saying? What they're saying is, I feel like a Christian, so I must be a Christian. And we know, we know that that doesn't work. We know that that kind of equation just doesn't work at all. Look in Jeremiah, please. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter 17, the prophet makes this timeless observation. And in fact, maybe you've had that discussion with folks about how they felt like they were saved and probably you even offered Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 to that discussion. What's Jeremiah say there? Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart, the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Can't rely on our heart. Can't rely on our feelings and our emotions because there's no guarantee that our heart, our feelings, our emotions, that they're going to be correct. And of course, there are many examples in Scripture of people who felt one way but then found out later on that things really weren't that way at all. I think about Paul often. Paul felt great about persecuting Christians. But later on, he realized that he was really wrong in feeling that way. And so we say that to people. We say emphatically to people. We say, hey... You can't use your feelings as a reliable gauge of what your spirituality is. Well, maybe we need to take a dose of our own medicine on that. The truth of the matter is, as humans, we are going to have upswings and we're going to have downswings. Our emotions are going to be up and they're going to be down. There's going to be times where we're making really good decisions in our life where we maybe come to worship and we're just really laser focused and we worship really well. There's going to be moments in our life where we're studying or we're listening to preaching and we learn something new. And we feel really great in those moments. We feel really solid as a child of God. But then, of course, there's going to be other moments where we're not quite as charged up. Maybe that would be due to sickness or some other kind of suffering or trial. Or maybe we go through a period where we struggle with a certain temptation and we make some poor decisions. Or maybe we just go through a stretch in our life where there's just a lot of stuff happening. We're just bombarded by the busyness and the things of this life and we just feel worn out and we feel fatigued. Life is full of those peaks and those valleys. Which means then that our emotions, how we feel, we're just all over the place. We're up, we're down, we're left, we're right, we're all over the place. If you were to read Jeremiah, just read the book of Jeremiah sometimes. Jeremiah is the perfect example. One moment he's flying high spiritually. And the next moment he's about as low as you can get. He's literally down in a pit. And what all of that is to say is that our feelings are not really a dependable measuring stick for spiritual growth. Feelings are way too subjective. And we cannot allow those feelings or emotions to trick us into believing that we're not grueling. When in fact, maybe we are growing. And since we're talking here about maybe not being able to see things for what they really are, let me suggest to you secondly, that sometimes the reason we feel like we're not growing is because we just have trouble seeing incremental growth. What is the goal? Talk about spiritual growth this year. What is the goal of spiritual growth? What what, what are we trying to do this year? As we talk about these things, in the back of our mind, what is the goal in all of this when it comes to growth? What are we trying to grow into? Well, quite simply, spiritual growth is about becoming more like Jesus. I can show you that from Scripture in a number of places. We'll just pick a couple. Look in 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 6, 
In 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 6, what's the aim? What's the charge? What's the goal of Christianity? 1 John 2 verse 6 gives a good summary. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6, John says, Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Maybe just turn back a couple of pages in your Bible to 1 Peter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, look in verse 21. Peter says this, For to this you have been called, that Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. That's just a couple of probably about a dozen passages that affirm to us that becoming a Christian, being a Christian, living the Christian life, it means setting our course to be like Christ. Every day and in every possible way, we are trying to change ourselves into the image of God's perfect Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, it is enough for the disciple to be like His Master. But becoming like Christ, that's not something that's tangible and visible all the time, is it? Now, I will admit that sometimes, sometimes it is visible. Think about a person who maybe has lived just a wild, debaucherous, pagan, sinful lifestyle. Someone who's lived the Saul of Tarsus lifestyle. And then they learn the truth. They become a Christian. They're baptized into Christ. For that individual... There probably going to is. Probably is going to be a a very big and noticeable shift in their lives. They're going to start acting differently. They're going to start being really, really different in who and what they are. That growth spurt for that individual, it's going to be really evident right then and right there. But if you're like me, you maybe never went through one of those big, wild, unrestrained segments in your life where you're just living in sin and paganism and just living out in the world, then then you're probably never going to have or to see or to feel that big giant spurt of growth all at once. Instead, for you, probably growth is going to be something that's slow, something that's steady. Where just bit by bit, little by little, over time, in much more subtle ways, you're going to become more like Jesus. And that, of course, is the way that generally it is going to work. Look at Mark chapter 4. Jesus says that's actually the way that it works in nature. In Mark chapter 4, there's some discussion about growth here in this little parable that I love. It's only recorded for us in Mark's gospel. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. He says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and it grows, but he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the air. Then when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus draws some parallels here with how things grow out in nature. And he says, that's often how growth works in the kingdom of God. Those stages of growth that Jesus describes there in verse 28... Those don't always just happen right there in front of the farmer's eyes. The farmer comes out and he wants to survey his crops and look at his field. He doesn't see all of that happening right then and right there. In fact, verse 27 says, sometimes the farmer is asleep while all of that is going on. He doesn't even even awake to see all of that happening. And I will tell you, as someone who has failed miserably 
several times at attempting to plant flowers and to get involved in some of that kind of stuff, I can tell you firsthand that if you go out and plant marigolds this afternoon, and from what I'm told, this is actually the time of year when you should be planting marigolds, don't go out tomorrow morning and expect that you're going to see marigolds. If you plant some seed this afternoon, don't expect that tomorrow morning you're going to see that flower. Don't expect that you're going to see marigolds the day after that, or the day after that, or even the day after that. That growth from a seed to a flower happens in increments, doesn't it? Happens in tiny increments. Those increments that are largely unnoticeable to the untrained human eye. In the same way, think about your Christian life. When you were baptized into Christ, that's, that's kind of like being a seed, isn't it? And I'm going to tell you, you cannot come up out of the water after baptism and after five minutes start gauging yourself, hmm, how much have I grown in the last five minutes? That's, that's not going to be really helpful, is it? So think back to when you become a Christian, however long ago that was for you. For me, it was about 23 years ago. Think back now over that long span of time. And think about those stages from a seed to a flower and how all of that began to take shape. Look back and just see what was it or what is it that you're able to do now that you were not able to do back then. What are maybe some habits? What are maybe some sins? that maybe you really struggled with in the beginning, but now you've stopped those things. You've put an end to those things. And those are things that maybe once upon a time you thought you'd never be able to grow out of. You'd never be able to overcome. What maybe back then was was a real struggle for you. Maybe, Maybe just coming back to services on Sunday night or being here for Wednesday night Bible study. Maybe that was a real struggle for you in the beginning. That is a struggle for a lot of folks. Should I go? Should I not go? And it's this constant back and forth. But hey... Maybe now you're at a place where Sunday night services, Wednesday night, all the other opportunities, of course I'm going to be there. Absolutely I'm going to be there. What's happened there? You've done some growing, haven't you? What about things like reading and studying the Bible? Maybe reading the Bible in the beginning of your Christian walk, maybe that was a big chore. It just seemed like such a huge and monumental task, but now, now is that maybe a regular fixture in your life? What about just in general, your relationship with God? Do you now, all those months or years later, do you now think about God more just in your daily life? Do you talk to God more now than you did in the beginning? Maybe has your praying, has it grown and evolved? Your praying in the beginning was a lot of wish list stuff. God, give me this. God, please give me that. But now it's to the point where it's not so much about me. Now my prayers are more centered on God. I'm just talking to my Heavenly Father. You see, when you step back, and you kind of get a more wide-angle view, and you take a look at how that whole process works, then seeing our growth is able to come into a little bit greater clarity, isn't it? But if all we ever do is survey what happened in our lives in the last five minutes, then we're probably not going to notice very much change, and we may actually end up getting discouraged. Looking at a very thin slice of your Christian life, that is not the way to measure your growth. That doesn't work for marigolds and other plants. It doesn't work for Christians either. If you kind of go on closely along with that idea is this third thing. I need to say something here about our expectations and about our longing for instant progress. We're just being honest. We are often not interested in slow and steady. 
No, what we're interested in is right now. We live in a microwave society. High-speed Internet. I need it, and I need it now. You ever see those advertisements, those commercials, those infomercials for fitness products and weight loss regimens? All of them. If you've seen one, you've seen them all. They're all exactly the same. Here's on this infomercial, here's some big muscle-bound meathead. He's got a six-pack of He's got an eight-pack of abs. And then here's this woman standing next to him and she's got like 0% body fat. And here it comes. They're standing there and they're ready to be start shilling this product. And what do they do? They put up this before picture of this guy. And they put up the before picture of this woman. And what do they look like before? They're out of shape. They're overweight. They've got all kinds of problems physically with them. But after just two weeks using the, the tummy sizer, after two weeks using the tummy sizer, at just five minutes a day, now... Well, now Biff is a professional bodybuilder and Bambi is a professional fitness model. In just five minutes a day, in two weeks' time, you can look just like them. And what do we say when we see that? We say, honey, where's the credit card? I'm getting me a tummy sizer. Quick and easy. That's what we like. That appeals to us. Even if you pay really close attention to the fine print at the bottom of the screen where it says these results are not typical, It doesn't matter. We're still getting a tummy sizer. Why? Because we want to believe that results can be attained instantaneously. And we want to be able to do that with the minimalist amount of effort possible. You advertise a product, and in that advertisement you say, now listen, it's going to take you at least a year to lose your weight in a healthy fashion, to learn some new habits, to develop a good exercise and diet regimen. In fact, it may even take you longer than a year to develop all of that. You're probably not going to sell very many tummy sizers that way, are you? No, we want. Our world wants immediate results. And you know what? Sometimes we transport that over into our Christianity. That's what we want in our walk with God. You know, hey Lord, I read my Bible today. How come I don't feel like a big mature Christian now? Hey, I made it to services all three times this week. Why? Why isn't my relationship with God so much exponentially stronger than it was before? Hey, I invited somebody to come to church or maybe to have a Bible study with me, but they didn't come. Next thing you know, what we're doing is we're just chucking the whole thing because we didn't see those instant results. We didn't see that huge shifting of the needle all at once. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is one of many passages in the New Testament that press the theme of perseverance. In 1 Corinthians 15, this is verse 58, the apostle writes there, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You want some straight talk? There is very little instant growth in the kingdom of God. Being a Christian requires steadfastness, Paul says. It requires that stick-to-itiveness because it takes time to mold self into the image of Jesus Christ. Spiritual growth, it is a marathon, not a wind sprint. Which means, practically speaking, That just because you and your mate go home tonight and you read the first chapter of the Song of Solomon, that does not mean that you're immediately going to have an amazing marriage. 
Just because you go to your children and you tell them to play nice and to share. That doesn't mean that just because you told them that that one time that they're now going to be perfectly obedient for the remainder of their adolescence. Or just because you sit down tomorrow morning and you do your daily Bible reading and you pray to the Lord, that doesn't mean that that's going to be some awesome, soul-changing experience for you. It may just be Bible reading and a hasty prayer uttered to the Lord before you go about the rest of your day. But just like anything else that has lasting value, if you will take time, and if you will keep taking time, you may not see much progress tomorrow. You may not even see much progress next week or even next month. But if you'll be steadfast, if you'll persevere, if you'll endure then as Paul points out here, your labor will not be in vain because you will grow. Which brings me to this fourth and final idea this morning. Sometimes we get discouraged and we get disheartened about our perceived lack of spiritual growth because nobody else seems to be noticing that we're doing any growing. Would you find Romans the 16th chapter with me, please? I I, I used to always wonder why the Holy Spirit saw fit to record all of these howdies and how you doing and tell this guy I said hello and all of these big lists of names that are recorded at the end of almost every one of Paul's letters. Romans 16 is just one example. But you read just about any of Paul's letters, he's always concluding the letters with a big long list of say hi to this guy and say hello to this fella and tell them I said howdy. Well, what's going on there? Let's look at this. Look at Romans 16 verse 1. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and to help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles, they give thanks as well. On and on and on, Paul goes from there. Greet this person. Say hello to this congregation. Say hi to that fellow for me. What is all that doing in there? It doesn't really seem like all that inspired of text. Well, it seems to me that at least part of the reason those messages are included was for Paul to encourage those individuals. Think about it. It must have been really, really nice as that letter was maybe being read in the Roman church, the Roman church has come and assembled together on Sunday morning, and some brother gets up and he's now reading the letter that Paul has sent to them. How amazing would it have been to have been sitting in that audience and to hear your name read and to be commended in that letter by an apostle of Jesus. I mean, just notice the commendations. Look at verse 6. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Look at verse 10. Greet Apollos, who is approved in Christ. Verse 12. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Man, that must have been so encouraging that Paul not only noticed, but he praised the efforts of those various brothers and sisters. And unfortunately, unfortunately that kind of thing doesn't always happen in the body of Christ. Now, it does happen. I'm not, certainly not going to say that it doesn't ever happen. It does. Maybe when a young man gets up and he's going to lead, lead a song for the first time, or he gets up and he reads Scripture, or he serves at the table for the very first time, and what do we do? I mean, folks are just lined up 
to pat that young man on the back, to commend him. What a great job you did. Keep it up. And we're, we're just so proud of that. But that doesn't always happen for everybody. Sometimes we don't always notice all the other ways that people are growing. Sometimes we only notice it when it's some public act of service that happens in the public church assembly. But what about all the other ways that people serve? For example, if you decide to get your courage up and you're going to try to tackle one of those children's Bible classes downstairs, chances are, after you teach class that first time, chances are there's not going to be 15 people lined up in the hallway ready to give you a high five and pat you on the back and tell you job well done. Now, you grew. There was a, certainly a sign that you had taken a big step there, but, but maybe not a whole lot of people noticed that. Maybe not even a whole lot of people were even aware of that. If you were to bring a visitor to church, you invite your friend to come to church with you, and they come, you're probably not going to receive a standing ovation right here in the middle of the assembly. You're not going to get a gold medal for your personal evangelism for that. Sometimes everybody doesn't always notice the great strides that we're making in our walk with God. And as a result, as a result, we can convince ourselves that, well, since nobody noticed that, since nobody patted me on the back, since nobody told me good job for what I did, well, well, maybe I'm not really growing like I thought I was. Encouragement can be so valuable in another person's spiritual development. In fact, let me just say right here, that we need to be more conscious. And we need to be looking even more for opportunities to commend and to praise and to single out the good things that our brothers and our sisters are doing for the Lord. That kind of encouragement can mean so much. Whenever we're observant and we go to that young mother and we say, I just really admire the way that you handle your kids and the way that you teach them to worship God when we come to church. Or you maybe go to that brother who, who's never got up and taught a Bible class and has maybe some reservations about all of that, but he always makes great comments in Bible class. And you go to him and you say, Brother, I just appreciate the great comments that you make, how thoughtful your thoughts are in class. Keep contributing to those discussions because it really helps me. Or maybe we go to that young Christian man or that young Christian woman and we say, I am just so proud of the young man of God or the young woman of God that you are becoming, you keep that up. Or maybe we go to that Bible class teacher and we say, hey, I'm really thankful for the job that you do with my kids or the job that you do with all of our kids here, helping them to understand God's Word. You know, all too often we get just so caught up in ourselves that we're not attentive to the multitude of opportunities to notice and to encourage others in their spiritual walk. We need to make a more conscious and deliberate effort, especially, this is a message to those of you who are more mature in the faith, to look around, find somebody that we can go to and we can say, hey, I see, I don't know if anybody else does, but I see that you're growing. When we call people's attention to that kind of thing, that may very well give them the shot in the arm. It may give them the boost that they need to realize that, you know what, I am growing. Just think about it. If every time that I came to services here, if I made it my goal to encourage one brother or one sister, I wonder how many Christians would end up going home that day saying, you know what, I realized that even though I didn't think I was growing, I, I, actually I am growing. I think I am growing. Some brothers and some sisters pointed out some things to me in my life that really encouraged me and really, really picked me up. A word fitly spoken, the Proverbs writer says. 
A word fitly spoken from a sincere heart. It can be exactly the fuel that someone needs to accelerate their growth. But you know what? Even if you don't ever receive that word from a fellow Christian, even if you don't ever receive that commendation, that pat on the back, somebody saying to you, hey, you're growing and I'm so proud of you for that. I want you to please remember that just because someone else, just because maybe everyone else hasn't noticed your progress, that doesn't mean that you're not growing. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 reminds us that the very most important observer, which would be God, Hebrews 6 verse 10 says that He will not overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name. In the end, the Lord knows that you're growing. And in the end, that's really all that's going to matter. In fact, as I turn back to Luke the 13th chapter, and as I look at that parable of the fig tree where we began, That maybe is probably the most comforting aspect of the parable. There's lots of aspects of the parable that are troubling and make me concerned. But maybe the most comforting aspect of that is the fact that Jesus is the inspector, not me or not any other human being. Jesus is going to make the determination. Sometimes my vision gets clouded by my emotions. Sometimes I fail to consider that my growth is actually in small stages and it's in increments. Sometimes I become impatient and I can't just wait for that slow and steady progress. I want it instantly. And other times I am a slave to what others say about me or maybe what others are not saying about me. And as a result, I don't even recognize the growth that is taking place in my life. But the good news here is that Jesus... He sees it. And we need to take heart that the Lord knows where we've been and the Lord knows how far we've come. He knows where we are. He sees our growth. He's going to be the one who rewards us for that growth in that last and final day. What does the Lord see right now when He looks at you and when He looks at your life? Does the Lord see a disciple who is committed feverishly and fervently to Him and to growing spiritually in Him? Or does the Lord look at you and does He maybe see a fruitless tree that's just taking space, it's occupying space in the ground, and you're in danger of being cut out? Brothers and sisters, this is not a trivial matter. Luke 13 is not a parable to be taken lightly. The Master will indeed cut you down. He will cut me down. We are not serious about growing and thriving in Him. If you've not been faithful to the Lord, if you've not been serving Him as you ought, if you've not been growing as you ought, if you've not been as fruitful as you ought, then brother or sister, this is an opportunity to think about that long and hard and to repent. If there are some changes that need to happen, if there's some praying that needs to happen, let us encourage you and help you to serve the Lord in a better way. It may be that that growing process for you maybe really hasn't even started because the seed hasn't been planted yet. And by that seed, I mean that you have not yet been planted in the waters of baptism. That you've not been planted with Christ, united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. You can do that this morning. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you're willing to confess that openly with your mouth, if you're ready to repent and turn from sin, then it would be our pleasure and our privilege to baptize you into Christ You can begin that wonderful transformation process of growing and bearing fruit for the Master. Whatever your need may be, this is an invitation and an opportunity for you to make things right with you and God. Why don't you do something about that right now while we stand and while we sing.